0: Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Optical View Podcast, episode 8. Today we have on Matthew McPeak. Matthew is a world-traveling jiu-jitsu artist. He is a professor and he teaches jiu-jitsu amongst many other things in his life, but we touch on his story, and as well as he has produced many instructionals Um, over various platforms. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed filming it and uh, recording it, I should say. Anyways, thanks guys. Enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Optical View podcast. Today I'm joined with a special guest, guest, Matthew McPeak. How's it going, Matthew?
1: Good. How are you today?
0: Good, good i'm excited for this one um i like to thank your special guest uh we'll find out if the listeners do as well um <laughs> let's just start off with uh who are you and what do you do
1: um yeah my name matt mcpeak and uh yeah i want to thank you for welcoming me to come on here and i guess we'll we're going to talk about some brazilian jiu-jitsu so from a jiu-jitsu uh aspect i'm a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu been uh practicing the art for uh, close to 20 years now and, uh, you know, living here in, uh, in Ontario, uh, you know, kind of in the Burlington area.
0: Perfect. Um, Now, where did your journey to martial arts, maybe not necessarily jujitsu, but martial arts start? How how did that begin?
1: Um, I started martial arts at the age of eight with judo and uh, did judo for, for a lot of years, um, I was born and raised in New Brunswick, so um, in in Fredericton. So there was a judo club at the local YMCA that was there, and uh, myself and a couple of friends had joined that club. And uh, you know, we we competed and trained and had a whole bunch of fun with it. And uh, I was uh, a
0: bunch of friends and stuff competed.
1: Okay, yeah. So had had a bunch of friends that we that we joined the judo club at the YMCA. And um, you know we we loved training. We competed. Um, I was a pretty big kid uh, growing up, so sometimes it was hard for me to find uh, competitors in my weight division. So the the guy that was running the uh, the club at the YMCA at, at the YMCA he was also um, training with the uh, with the university uh, wrestling and, and judo club. So as a teenager, I was able to go and train with uh, with guys that were. Uh, advanced in age and, and, uh, and experience in experience in wrestling and judo. So uh, that was fun. It really accelerated my, uh, my game. And then, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, as with most things in life, politics intervened and uh, that club shut down. So when I was about, uh, I'd say about 15 or 16, I uh, I lost my ability to uh, to do judo. So I um, had friends that did karate and boxing and wrestling. So, you know, before the, the UFC... Um, was ever a, a mainstream thing or kind of came to light. We used to sit, you know, in the backyard or in the garage and, uh, you know, try to, try to best one another with, uh, you know, the judo guy against the karate guy and the boxing guy against the wrestling guy. And, uh, you know, kind of had our own kind of little mixed martial arts, uh, you know, competitions. Um, after that, got into university. Uh, as I say, kind of played around a little bit um, with, with my friends, you know, kind of learning different stuff. Um, Got into uh, a martial art called Hapkido, which I kind of, you know, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of a a traditional Japanese jujitsu, you know, kind of um, self-defense, self-defense based and got into kickboxing. Um, So ended up earning, you know, a third degree black belt and Hapkido did some, uh, you know, amateur kickboxing and uh then uh when I uh, finally moved um into the area that I am now, uh you know, I was living in Sault Ste. Marie for a while uh, after university for work and I came down to uh, southern Ontario into the Burlington area and found a club that was kind of training. There was a guy that was doing hapkido, there was a guy doing uh, japanese Japanese jujitsu, there was a guy doing judo. So it was kind of like a a kind of a neat place to come and train and, and train there for a little bit. And until the, um, the gentleman that owned the club um, decided that he wanted to kind of get out, he was going to kind of retire from, uh, from operating a, a dojo. So uh, he sold it to, uh, to a guy who brought in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I didn't even seek out Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, at that time. It was just kind of, a, it came to me. And I remember, <laughs> I remember the first class, you know, all, all the guys that had been training there before doing the Judo and, and the Japanese Jiu-Jitsu you know, we, we kind of come in and there were a few guys that, uh, that the new owner brought along with him. Um, they'd been training at a club in, in Hamilton and he decided at that point he wanted to you know, break off and do his own thing and bought the club in Burlington. And I remember the, the first Brazilian Jitsu experience I had was against a guy. Um, he was easily 10 years younger than I was, uh, probably 50, 50, 60 pounds lighter. And, uh, you know, we started our stand up, you know, slap and tap. And uh, in, in less than a minute, he had me on the ground, had my back and was choking me out. And I was like, holy shit. Um, with all the experience that I've had in martial arts, uh, you know, I, I was, I was kind of taken down and taken apart that easily. So I was like, you know, my mindset was I need to learn this. Um, the mindset of a lot of the other guys that were there were like, screw this, we're out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a group of us stayed there and, um, you know, I was, I stayed at that club for, for quite a few years before, uh, you know, kind of branching out on my own.
0: Wow. And, and what time frame did you first begin jiu-jitsu? Is this before the UFC?
1: Um, I start, no, it was, it was, it was after, so it was early 2000s. I, I think it was like two, I think it was around 2003. I started Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, so I was, yeah, cause I was 30 years old when I started. So, you know, people ask, you know, am I too old to start or, you know, I, I think we all wish we started earlier, um, than we did, but I started when I was 30. Um, and as I said, I mean, I had a, a fairly extensive martial arts background before that. So, you know, it was kind of neat to see, you know, some, of some of the similarities between, you know, judo and some of the, you know, wrestling and some of those other things that I'd done that was in with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but just how, efficient and effective it was um you know as a martial art which you know obviously is is a big draw of of that system um you know other over other you know martial arts i think from uh, from a longevity standpoint
0: for sure and, and and did you um end up watching the ufc when it came about
1: yeah like i you know in the early you know in the 90s when it first came out you know did like everything, you know, everybody else, like, uh, had friends, we'd rent, the, you know, we'd rent the VHS tapes, you know, cause we, at that point where I was living, you know, we didn't have access to the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we'd rent, we'd rent the videos, we'd watch those. And then obviously as, as pay-per-views became more popular, we, you know, we watched them as well. And it was, you know, it was very interesting in those early days to see once again, you know, the hard mix of, 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 of uh, different styles, right. You know, it was the karate against the, the judo or, you know, the, the wrestler against the, the jujitsu guy and just see the vast differences in it. And, um, you know, seeing how effective jujitsu was at, you know, closing that distance, standing up, being able to, you know, get into that clinch type situation, take someone to the ground and then, um, you know, go go to work and, and, and take, you know, take the bigger guy's ability to, to generate power and, and, and movement and kind of, you know, pin and, and submit. And, uh, you know, in those days, you know, you started seeing, you know, submissions that, uh, you know, that had been around for forever and a day, but no one had ever seen them. Right. You know, no one knew what, no one really knew outside of, um, you know, old people that were kind of doing old school judo or jujitsu, you know, people didn't know what a triangle choke was, right. They yeah. they didn't know any of these things, you know, you, you know, people knew what an armbar bar was or a straight ankle locker or, or things like that, which were, you know, you could still see in, in, some competitive judo at the time, but, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff no one had seen in, in a lo- in a long time or knew about. So it was kind of interesting to see you know the reaction to that and start learning that. And, um, you know, seeing how, uh, you know, kind of the styles have, have developed in the, in the, in the art has developed from the sports perspective, um, you know, through the years, not only from the grappling side with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but even the UFC, right. It's now, um, you have to be a very well-rounded fighter. Um, you just can't be, a, you know, a wrestler going in there hoping you're going to take a guy down, right? You 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 know your base may be wrestling, maybe boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, but you have to be so well-versed now, and uh, you know have to, you have to you know you have to treat it even at an amateur level as training like a professional athlete, or you end up going to get you know you're going to your ass severely kicked and, and potentially injured.
0: For sure, and, and the and the gentleman that you trained under. Um, initially, when he I guess he bought the club, was he a black belt?
1: No, he wasn't a black belt at the time. You know, in in you know late 1990s, early 2000s, there were not a lot of black belts in in Canada, and um, it, you know, in Southern Ontario, obviously, is kind of you know kind of the hub of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, it's kind of where a lot of it grew from, and obviously, Montreal has a big scene, and out in out in Western Canada and Vancouver, it's starting to go. Um, but there weren't a lot of black belts around, so it was very rare to have an opportunity to train directly with a black belt. Um, you know, you could, you know, back th- back then, you know, this is this is pre this is pre YouTube, mm-hmm. um, right? So there so there was no online based learning or sharing of information, right? Like jujitsu today is very open source. Yes. Right. If you want to, if you want to learn um whatever it is right you want to learn some specific type of guard passing or some kind of inverted guard or some type of submission you can go in, type it in and you'll find hundreds of videos um on on that subject matter right so you can you can kind of dive in you can you know you can dive in and go down some rabbit holes and, and find information very easily back then it was either your instructor knew um that stuff and they shared it with you um, you bought VHS tapes or DVDs or CDs or whatever, um, you know, and 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 you watched and you studied those videos or you went to tournaments, right? And tournaments were the big part of it where people learned because you got to see other schools, um, you know, from around the area. And, you know, and if, and if you know, competition in, in Toronto, you draw some clubs out of Montreal and you would you would then see kind of, well, what are these guys working on? You know, what did that guy do? You know, that, that's I've never seen that before. So you'd videotape everything and kind of dissect it because at that time, you know, it, it, it's it's weird jiu was very it was very tribal club. It was very our club against your club because there you may be doing something very specific or different than someone else might be learning um, at another club. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of sharing and there was this whole thing like, you know, you train here, you know. I'm I'm your instructor. This is your team. You stick with your team. There wasn't a lot of cross training going on. It was actually frowned upon. You know, it's the, the old, the old term Creonte, you know, w- was thrown around a lot. Um, you know, that guy's kind of that's kind of jumping from dojo to dojo learning stuff. But today it, it, it's very prevalent and, and people are doing it. And I, and I truly believe cross training is, is kind of the way to go. The club that I was at before, um frowned upon it and even today the guy you know the guy, same guy runs it and i'm still in contact with some of the students there after i left and uh, he still runs it very old school tribal and um you know if you're gonna learn jujitsu it's going to be within those four walls and uh, you know to each their own some people some people like that um, but i think um you know if you really want to learn the art um, you know, test out and see where, you know, your game is, what you're doing is versus, you know, other, um, other, other styles or other interpretations of, of jujitsu, you know, you don't necessarily need to compete, but going to an open mat, visiting another school, going to seminars, um, you know, going to a jiu-jitsu training camp somewhere, um, and, and being able to roll and train with people. Like I say, it doesn't have to be a competition, but being able to train and roll with other people that, uh, that you don't do on a regular basis really shows you, you know, how well you're doing in one aspect of your game. But it all—it's also the opportunity to learn where there's holes in your game and uh, and and find that person that's got the counter. You know, they've got the counter to your offense or your defense and uh, learn how to tighten it up and um, you know and obviously you know learn something new and 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 evolve. So it was very interesting, as I say, back back in the early 2000s, um, how the mentality was and how we learned versus you know you come here you know, 20 years later and things are very open, very easy access to information and sometimes I think it's, it's, there's too much information out there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, I think it confuses a lot of people because they haven't learned necessarily the basics and the fundamentals, um, of everything. So they're trying to learn some advanced moves without really understanding what the concept is behind it. Um, and sometimes miss out on it. But, uh, you know, as I say, there's still some schools out there that are very tribal, um, and very, uh, and very close and they don't like, uh, cross training. And, you know, sometimes I got to question, you know, why that happens and what's the mentality behind it, but, uh, you know, to each their own, but, uh, I, I made it, I made a decision. That's not, that's not how I wanted to have my, uh, my jujitsu journey to, to be. So I made a decision to, uh, to leave that club after being there for 14 years and, uh, kind of branch out on my own. And, uh, you know, go, go and travel and train with people that, uh, that were like-minded.
0: Yes, exactly. And, uh, how long have you been a black belt for in Jiu-Jitsu?
1: Um, I got my black belt in 2018. So it took, I was, uh, it took me about 15 years to get there. Um, as I said, part of that was, um, I left, uh, the club that I was at, I, you know, I left when I was a four-stripe brown belt and, um, which, uh, you know, there, there's a long story behind that, that maybe we save for, for another conversation. Um, but you know, obviously to leave as a, at that level, um, yeah. it, it wasn't, I wasn't leaving a great situation. Um, it became a very toxic environment, very political. And uh, as I said, it was very really kind of closed minded to uh, how I wanted to, to learn and share, um, jujitsu. So yeah, I left that. Um, In 2017, kind of went off on my own, Uh, got together with a small group of guys and started to kind of train together, Um, you know, put some mats in the basement, put some mats in a garage, Uh, had friends that were running other clubs. So I would kind of, you know, travel around and train and, uh, you know, kind of hang out with them. And um, I'm part of, you know, I participate in an organization called uh, the BJJ Globetrotters and uh, they run... um, Christian Christian Gogart, who uh who started the whole organization um you know he organizes you know 10 to 12 uh training camps around the world <clears throat> every year in some pretty neat locations and uh, I started doing camps with uh with the globetrotters back in 2015 and you know Christian wrote a book about it I read his book really liked the what he was trying to do the community he was trying to build um the openness of, of, of jujitsu, the sharing, um, you know, of the art and, um, he did his first U S camp in 2015 in New Hampshire. Um, so I was like, Hey, this, this is close enough for me to get to, because all the other ones were, you know, kind of over in Europe at the time. And it was, uh, really wasn't in my means to get there, but going to a camp in the U S was, was easy. You know, it was like an eight to 10 hour drive to get to New Hampshire from, uh, from Southern Ontario and uh, went to it. And, uh, my mind was blown away and I said, I'm hooked. This is what I want to do. And, uh, that really, that really started me down, you know, down that road, met a lot of people, great people, um, that really became my primary learning source the last couple of years before I'd left the club. And, um, yeah, in 2018, I went to, uh, to one of the, one of the camps in Maine and, um, unbeknownst to me, uh, they had decided that they were going to, you know, kind of, Test me, <laughs> um, you know, during the camp. And, uh, you know, if I pass the test that, um, you know, I would uh, they would they, they'd rank me up the black belt. So last day of that camp uh, at the end of it, they, uh, they they'll, they'll, they'll do belt um, promotion. So let's say you're, you know, let's say you're a blue belt and you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have a regular, you know, you don't have a regular coach that can pro- that can promote you. You can ask to say, hey, I'm coming to this camp. Would you guys evaluate me? and uh, kind of through the same thing but in this case i i didn't ask i was kind of i i I was kind of under the uh the notion that hey i'm going to be i'm going to be a brown belt for a while (laughs) until i find kind of a new home and a new instructor but um the guys that i'd met um you know through the globe trotters um knew that i'd left the environment that i was in and that i was you know i'm in it for the love of the art and i wasn't trying to chase a belt or something like that so uh Yeah. They surprised me with it at the end of camp. And I think that's kind of the, to me, it's the best way to do it is, uh, you know, when you, when you don't expect it, um, when the belt, when the belt really doesn't, you know, I mean, the belt always means something to you, but you're not doing something because of a belt, um, or the reward you're doing it for the love of it. And, um, you know, when I got it from a group of people that I had a lot of respect for, and it wasn't just coming from one person, right. It was the opinion of, of, um, you know, kind of, they call it the, you know, the, the Council of Travelling Black Belts. And, uh, you know, it kind of came from their collective um, opinion of, of you know, who I am and, and how I conduct myself, you know, on and off the mats that they've seen. And, and you know, obviously the, the quality of jiu-jitsu. So to me, it was, uh, you know, it was, I, I couldn't have asked for, uh, you know, maybe a, a better way to get it. So and I've been, you know, continued to be involved with that organization. And, you know, after getting my black belt, Um, I've taught at a bunch of camps as well, and actually in less than two weeks, I'll be uh, heading off to Arizona, uh, where we've got a week-long camp there uh, the first week of March.
0: Wow, yeah, I definitely want to talk more about your teaching, but walk me through that experience of the black belt, um, because, you know, you said it was a surprise, so... When you're speaking of a tribe of traveling black belts, how many are we talking here? Five, 10, 15, 20. And would you be able to name drop any of these gentlemen or females?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, at that camp, there was probably, uh, I don't know. There was probably at least eight to 10 instructors. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, so there's, you know, there, there, there's, you know, as I say, there, there was a bunch. So, you know, Christian obviously was one of them. Um, you know, there, and it's a cool thing with globetrotters. Like you'll get, you'll get some high-profile names that'll come to those camps and teach. Like a guy like Chris Howder. and mm-hmm. for those that don't know Chris Howder, Chris Howder's is part of the Dirty Dozen. He's one of the one of the first um, American black belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, you know, he trained. He trained at the Gracie Garage in Torrance, California, back in the day. So you know, Chris has been around for forever today. So you'll get a guy like Chris Howder coming there, or, you know, you can, you, you can get, uh, as I say, you can, you can get a hack black belt like me from, uh, from, you know, Berlin, you know, from, from somewhere in Southern Ontario that no one, that's no one that no one has ever heard of, but it's uh, it, it's, it's really good stuff. But there's, um you know, there's some guys that are out on, um, on the, uh, the East coast in the U S uh, Joey Carter, Jay Bell, uh, Brad Wolfson, um, you know, great jujitsu guys, um, really experienced, um, you know, really good. As I say, Christian was there, a good friend of mine, Jeremy Laughlin, who's down in Houston, Texas. Um, right now, um, now to, to kind of continue my black belt journey, uh, I'm under a guy called Jay Pages, and uh, Jay's located in uh, in Arizona, and actually he's hosting the camp um, that's going on there in uh, in March. So I just... Last November, we had a camp there again um, through the Globe Trotters, and I was uh, promoted by Jay to my uh, to my first degree.
0: Wow, wow! And uh, you know, you mentioned you you teach at these camps. How many of these camps have you taught at before?
1: Um, so I started doing the camps in 2015. The first camp, I um, actually the first camps that I taught at were. In 2019 so I taught at uh, the camp in Maine a camp in Iceland and and then the Arizona camp um, I was supposed to do three camps in 2020 <laughs> but <laughs> obviously the pandemic came and, and that kind of uh, you know killed that one and um, so I was actually it was almost two years since I had done you know, had done a camp because of the pandemic. So the, the first camp that I've taught at since then was back in November. So that was my fourth, that was my fourth one that I've taught at. So this will be my fifth one coming up. And, um, I'm supposed to be going to teach at the main camp in June and also, uh, in Estonia in, uh, in July. So, yeah, so it, it's fun. There's so, so there's some, you know, there's some neat places, obviously the U S camps, um, you know, uh, depending on what you want to do, if you like the desert or if you like, uh, you know, going in, a, in, a, in the forest and the lake, they're pretty cool. But, uh, you know, being able to go to places like Iceland and Estonia, um, he runs camps in in the Caribbean and then through Europe. So you kind of you kind of, you know, mix travel and jujitsu together and um, have a great time. And I've, I've met some amazing people and have built literally a global network that now if I'm traveling anywhere or, you know, a friends of mine or students of mine are saying, hey, I'm going to this country or this city. Can you recommend where to train? You know, you can get on the Globetrotter network and say, hey, I'm going to be here at these dates. Any recommendations? And you'll get people that either, you know, train or own at a specific club or other people that have been to a club and, uh, you know, get their recommendations. So it's kind of cool that way too. That if you like to travel, you like to do jujitsu, it's a great organization to hook up with. And, um, and, uh, and, and you know, as, regardless if you do camps or not, um, you, can, you can get a lot out of it by uh, being able to, to do some training while you're, uh, while you're traveling.
0: Perfect. So how do these camps work? So say I want to go to the, the camp in Maine coming up. Do I have yep. to book all my hotel and food or is that all included or how does it work?
1: Yeah, so each camp's a little bit different. Some are inclusive. Um, so the Maine camp is all inclusive. So, you, you know, you buy your ticket, you show up um, your accommodations and food, um, are taken care of and, and all the training, um, the Arizona camp, for example, and, in, in, in some of the European camps, you're, you're just paying for the training. So, you know, your, your food, your, your lodging and all that's kind of on you. So it really depends on, you know, kind of your travel budget and, and what you're looking into, but, you know, you can, you can do it, you know, you know, once again, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's fun. It's interesting. And, um, as I say, you know, once you, once you get to certain places, you know, in Europe, um, you know, some, sometimes things are a lot cheaper there and it's easier to do things. And, you know, you talk about a hostel in North America and usually when you, th- when you think about a hostel in North America, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, maybe a lack of a better term. It's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like a homeless shelter, right? You know, yeah. you're, you're fearing <laughs> for your life, but you go, you go to a hostel in, in Europe and, um, you know, they're nice, right? They're, they're as nice as a hotel. Um, the only thing is, you know, you can get single rooms or you can get rooms where you're kind of sharing, but they're, they're clean. Um, the ones that I've seen and been at it have been safe. Um, you know, they have, you know, um, you know, facilities to do your laundry, you know, you have shared, you know, washrooms and showers and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, if you're there to travel and train and kind of hop around, you can do it that way on a budget or, you know, you can go the Airbnb route or hotel. So it really depends on, on what your travel budget is. But um, yeah, some, some of them are, like I said, the one, the one in Maine um, is inclusive. There's a few of them that are, that are all inclusive. Maine, the Caribbean camps. um, There's a, there's a camp that he does in the forest in Poland that it's a, it's a resort that looks like a, A Japanese village. So you've got, yeah. So that one's all inclusive. Um, There's a one that he rents a castle in Italy. I think that one's all inclusive as well. So there's some pretty unique um, opportunities and some cool places that they go and train. And as I say, um, you know, a lot most people when they go, you know, they're they're using it as as a vacation as well. So um, you know, they'll they'll fly to a country that they've never been before. They'll come and do camp. Um, there's lots of time during the day, you know, you know, between, you know, training goes on all day. So, I mean, if you're, if you're a mat rat and you want to be, you know, you want to put 40 hours in a week training, you can do that or, you know, you can put in, you know, a couple hours a day or, you know, train hard one day and then take it easy the next day and go sightseeing and, you know, um, you know, take in the, the, whatever the local attractions are. So it, it's fun that way that, as I say, you get the, you get the, ba- you get to get a nice, balance of training traveling and kind of enjoying the the local culture and you usually get a bunch of people that You know are kind of maybe local to the area that are going to some of those camps, too So you get a locals perspective and they'll tend to send you away from the tourist traps um, You know and send you to some cool places that uh, otherwise you might not know about
0: Perfect. I love that and uh, Hopefully, you know this if you don't that's all right. How do they choose the instructors for these camps?
1: Um, It's it's so um, I mean, you basically, you know, you kind of reach out to, to Christian and say, Hey, you know, I'm, 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 interested in going to this particular camp, um, you know, and, and he'll, you know, he takes that into consideration and, um, you know, usually, usually if, if he knows you, if you've been to camps before and he knows who you are and you've taught there before, you know, it's pretty easy. Um, if you if you've never been to a camp before um, and then it usually will come on or you know to me at least kids come my my perspective it it'll come based on a recommendation um, of someone else or you know you or you may be a well-known black belt right um, yeah. that, that that might help there too but basically I, I think Christian's philosophy is is that he wants people he wants people there that regardless if they're teaching or not they still want to come to the camp and that's kind of the, that's kind of the that's that's the That's a, that's the perspective that I've taken, um, with those to saying, Hey, I want to go to that Estonia camp. I'm coming anyways. I'm going to book a ticket, right? If there's a spot for me to get on there, I'd love to do it. Right. That, at least that's been my approach and it's worked out for me. Um, you know, obviously there's other people, you know, like a, like a, like I said, like a guy like Chris Howder, probably, you know, just says, Hey Christian, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm available these weeks. And I'd like to, you know, I'd like to come to that camp and, you know, he's going to get on the docket because he's, you know, he's a big name. He's a big draw. And he's actually, Chris has been to quite a few camps and has been a, has been a big supporter of Christian and and the Globetrotter organization. So it's really just, you know, reaching out saying, Hey, I, I want to come to a camp. I'd love to teach at a camp. And, um, uh, Usually, you know, he usually fits everybody in and, you know, some camps you get to teach one class and other camps you can teach two or three, depending on the, the length of the camp and uh, how many instructors are going to be there.
0: Okay, perfect. So um, do you get paid for any of these or what would be your incentive for wine to teach rather than just train? Uh,
1: my, yeah, I mean, basically you get, you know, w- whatever the cost is for the ticket of camp. You know, you're not paying that, so you're you're not getting paid. Um, you're not getting paid to go, um, which is which is kind of good because you know sometimes it, you know depending on the country you're traveling to, if you, if you were going to go get paid, teach at a camp, right? Then there's work visas and all this stuff. So yeah. um, it's basically you know your cost of camps covered, and you know you get you might get like a a gear or a rash guard or something like that kind of thrown in you know for it. But you know, so so the incentive is like I said, the incentive is there is that. You want to be there, you want to be at camp, you want to be part of that experience, you want to be there to share jujitsu, right? See your friends, make new friends. So that's what it is really for me, is to, is to get the opportunity to get in front of, you know, a large group of people, you know, some I know, other people I'm meeting for the first time, and share my my interpretation of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Cause to me it, it's art. Like some people get into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for the sport, right? Yeah, they're they're training for the sport. They want to compete. They want to. They're they're training. They're training for a specific rule set, and that is part of jujitsu. But to me, it's it's a small part of jujitsu. Um, I, I think if you actually went to an average club, you probably find. I think you know. Once again, I'm I'm pulling some numbers out of here, but I, I, I'm going to say less than ten percent of the. i, I I'm gonna I, I would wage money to say that less than ten percent of the people that do Brazilian jujitsu today actually compete on a regular basis. Right. So I I think the vast majority of people are doing it as, you know, quote unquote hobbyists. Mm -hmm. Um, they're doing it because they love to do it right. For whatever reason, it's, 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 it's their distraction to get out, to get some exercise, to hang out with their friends. Um, you know, the, you know, they, 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 they love, you know, they love the competition or, um, you know, like so, you get. I think you have to have a, a little bit of a of a of a of a screw loose in your head to to get into any combat art. But you know, it's their outlet, and I think that's why the majority of people, um, you know, do that. So to me, it's an art form, um, like any art form. I mean, you can you can you can start painting and paint strictly a specific style of painting, right? Maybe you just do watercolors. You never touched oil before, and you just do watercolors. But painting is everything that's, you know, it's everything from, you know, the class, you know, it's everything from a Van Gogh to, you know, a monkey splash paint on a, on, on, a, you know, on, yeah. on a canvas, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. all art. It's all an interpretation of art, uh, but some things are very specific. So there are some clubs or some people that train very specifically for, for example, IBJJF rule set. So their whole jujitsu experience is just the IBJJF, rule set of experience right yeah. they can get to come to one of these camps and experience a whole different world of jiu jitsu where things that they're not allowed to do in IBJJF they can they can learn and be taught because you know this guy doesn't care about IBJJF rules right he's going to teach you heel hooks and he's going to yeah. teach you how to reap um, they're going to teach you you know maybe some catch wrestling stuff like that or maybe they're teaching you um, EBI or combat jujitsu rule-based stuff that you know you can't do in, in IBJJF, but you can do in these other rule sets. So, it, to me, it, it opens your eyes um, to different perspectives in jujitsu. You can learn different things. You can experience different things. You've got—I mean, this camp in, in uh, next month, I think there's going to be 170 or 180 people there. You're going to find—you will find someone who will challenge you. And, and once again, and, and not in a competitive way where you're going to get into, you know, you're not going to get into a, a, you know, a death match, but you'll find someone that you're going to roll with and go, wow, all my, all my, all my A game, that person knows how to counter it, right? What a great opportunity to go in there and advance your learning um, with a bunch of people that you haven't trained with before, right? Different body types, different experience levels, different age levels. Um, so to me, it's, it, to me, it can be, for me personally, it's an accelerator, for my learning. And I also get to sit back and watch how other people teach. Yeah. I also get the, the ability to watch a large group like that and see based on that teaching style, how are people learning? How are they picking it up? Um, so that's been, that's been a big part for me. And, and, and so I use it. I, I personally use this part of my growth and development on how to become a better teacher, how to become a better student, um and just overall how how to become a better artist of 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 jiu-jitsu
0: perfect that actually leads me into my next kind of question here for you now now different teaching styles right i mean yeah i've seen myself you know there's so many different kinds of people some people learn better by reading some people learn better by video uh which i know you've got a couple out there as well some people are better by doing right uh what's the best way that you learn? And on top of that, how have you found your teaching, your teaching style change over the last, say four five, six, seven years?
1: Um, I, I think when, so for, for me personally, my, my teaching style, um, went from, because the club that I was at, it was very like, here's a technique. Here's another technique. Here's another technique. And it was almost kind of like, um, You know, very scenario specific. So if you got pinned in half guard with, you know, both arms, you know, you, you, you get pinned and both arms are in this position, then you've got to think back in your Rolodex and go, OK, I got to use this technique. Right. And and, and, it, and it's kind of interesting. Um, and, and put it in this way, if, if, if you've if you ever do wrestling or if you've ever done boxing or kickboxing. Day one, day one, they teach you how to defend, right? They teach you, okay, in boxing, I'm going to be standing across, you know, two or three feet across from my opponent. They're going to teach you how your feet should be, proper, you know, proper kind of footwork so how you can move around and avoid getting hit. And, but number one is they're going to show you where to put your hands. So when you do get punched, because you're going to get punched, when you do get punched, you can take the least amount of damage, right? Right. They don't teach you to okay put your hands down and move your head around and avoid the punches, right? Yeah. They don't they don't do that. In jiu-jitsu though, but we we do it very situational. We almost put people like in the absolute worst positions and go, "Okay, defend yourself." Right? Like the absolute worst positions and defend yourself. So, over the years I've kind of gone from that very specific this technique and these 15 steps to get it done to with, with newer people teaching them to defend themselves first, because if you can defend yourself and you don't know anything else, it gives you time to think, it gives you time to breathe, right? It gives you time to kind of calculate like, you know, wow, like this guy's all over me, but I'm not getting tapped right now. Right? Like I'm not getting choked. I'm not getting an iron bar put on me. I'm not getting, you know, leg locked or something. So I have, I have time to think now, right? Cause my defenses are there that he can't submit. me. Yes. Am I getting dominated from a from a position standpoint? Like, I can't get up. I can't move. I can't do those things that I want to do to go on the offense, but I'm able to survive. Right. And to me, that's the number one goal of any martial art. Right. And in, in jujitsu is to survive. If you get attacked, it's to it's to survive. Right. Don't die. <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm very, very pro teaching defense and a lot of the defense that that I use now in the concepts. Um, it comes from a guy that I met from Globe Trotters, named uh, Preet Mikkelsen. And Preet has a very unique view on defense. And I actually, you know, sometimes they say, you know, you meet people for a reason at the right time. I had a, um, I had a double tear in my left rotator cuff, and I still want to train. And I was, it was, I was going to camps and all that stuff. And I met up with Preet, and he's got this very unique system where you know, it's very hard to, to, to attack him, right? And, and it was the perfect thing because it allowed me to start developing this defensive system that I could protect that left arm and not worry about being armbarred or being, you know, an omoplata or, uh, or a kimura or something that was going to cause more damage. So out of necessity, I had to become more defensive. And as I was doing, I was going, well, oh, shit, as I'm becoming more defensive, it's harder for people to attack me. It's harder for people to pin me they need to, it takes their A game away from them. They need to become, uh, they're, they're, they, they become more aggressive in a sense, like because they get, there's a level of frustration that they can't get things that they normally get. They tend to open things up more and there's a lot more movement. Well, as things open up and there's more movement, that's now your opportunity to, to kind of better your position. So in the last three, four years, defense has become kind of one of the number one things that I teach um, to all my students, regardless of level. And then on the other side of it, it's to me, as I said, I've really gone from a very specific technique, like step one, step two, step three, to teaching a concept. Mm. Um, So for example, choking, all chokes, regardless if it's, you know, with, if you're using the gi or the lapel or you're doing, you know, a guillotine style choke or rear naked choke, triangle chokes, whatever it is, choking period. There's a couple things that happen, and, and one of the number one things that happens with with that choke, and if you go back and you look, and even when you, when you go train yourself, is that when a choke is applied, it's kind of like a hangman's noose, right? When 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 you watch those old westerns, right? When they when they hang the guy, the the knot on that noose is always to one side of the neck. So when they yeah. drop, it causes the neck to what I call tilt, right? There's a tilt in the neck; it's not straight on. So every single choke that you do, every single one of them. Unless it's a, unless it's a, you know, unless you're doing like a windpipe choke, right? But I'm talking about blood chokes, you know, legal chokes and, and jujitsu, carotid artery chokes, all require the head to tilt. And mm-hmm. most times when I watch people when they're trying to do a choke, it looks right, like the position looks right, but they're not getting the choke. And I go, are you tilting the head? And they look, no, because it's straight on. They're not getting enough compression on the carotid arteries you get them to make that adjustment and the choke comes on instantly. So I teach the concept of choking that head tilt concept with the choke. And then I will use specific choke techniques to reinforce that concept. Um, And I'll do the same thing with arm bars. I'll do the same thing with, you know, shoulder locks and all those things. I like to teach the concept so they understand the mechanism of a submission or the mechanism of a pin or a takedown but that there's fundamental concepts that lie behind all of those and if you just use those two or three concepts as your check down list you'll get the sweep you'll get the takedown you'll get the pin you'll get the escape you'll get the submission and then it allows that creativity right the creativity you know that you know that expression of art the concept will be the same for everyone regardless if you're a white belt black belt you're 20 year old you know phenom athlete or you're a 50 year old, you know, you're crippled from, you know, years of of abuse. The concept is exactly the same for everyone. How you apply it, how you get there, what your style is, what your physical attributes are, that's up to you, right? That's your expression of the art. And I, and I found that once people kind of wrap their head around that, I think I, I find it accelerates the learning. Um, you know, side of it because you really understand why that technique works. I've seen people like do techniques um, and they do it because they've drilled it 10,000 times. So it's just become kind of like second nature to them, but they don't really fully understand the fundamentals and concept behind that technique and why it works. And if they did, um, it would open up so many other opportunities for them in their jujitsu. Um, for doing that. So, you know, it, you know, and you, and you ask the question about, you know, learning, like some people, they're visual, they have to do it, they have to write it down, they need to videotape it. I don't really care. Um, you know, I have people that come and they they want to videotape stuff, they want to write stuff down, they want to do a journal. T- to me, that's up to you. But it's, it's being able to see and understand some fundamental concepts in jujitsu, and then understanding how you apply those. And then, You know, I'll I'll roll with people and I'll hit an armbar. And like, well, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't know. I know from a conceptual standpoint what I did exactly step by step how I got you there. I couldn't tell you because I'm just, I'm kind of doing a check down list and we're in the middle of a flow. And I just ended up getting those key things that I need in the concept of an armbar. I got you. And we finished it, right? If you asked me to teach you that as a very specific technique, I probably, I, I, you know, I'd have to videotape and then go back and look to see exactly what I did from, you know, step one to step fifteen to get you there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And speaking about videotapes, you do have some some of your own um, videos, instructionals on BJJ fanatics, correct?
1: Yeah. So I've got. Um, yeah. So. So. I've got two on BJJ fanatics, uh, one that came out, um, I guess late summer, fall last year, um, which goes into one of the, one of the concepts that I teach that I call power line and I teach it from, um, from a modified kesagatami position. Um, so, uh, you can check that one out. And then the other one, it just got released this month and it's on, I, I call it backpack attacks. So it's a, it's a, it's it's a it's a back control position that I like to use that opens up a wide range of opportunities for, you know, various chokes, triangles, collar chokes, um, you know, armbars, shoulder locks, and all that stuff. So it's called backpack attacks. And um, you know, going back to kind of the Globetrotters, um, if you go on the Globetrotter site, which is free uh for anyone to go on, there's a there's a section on there called in action. And most camps um, most camps have a majority of the hour-long seminars recorded, and Christian edits them and puts them up on the site for free. Wow. So you can sort by camp, by instructor, or by technique, and there's well over 200 instructionals on there. So I have a couple on there as well.
0: Wow. All right, well, I've got a couple of fast, rapid fire questions for you here, and then we're going to get into kind of the last closing seg- segments. Okay. Um, so, just first things that come to your mind, right? Let me know this is going to be a this or that. All right. So, okay. no ghee.
1: I, I love ghee, but I do both.
0: <laughs> okay. Coffee or tea?
1: Uh, I just started drinking coffee.
0: Okay, sunset or sunrise?
1: Uh sunrise.
0: Okay, kind of a touch on that morning or night? Morning. Morning? Hot or cold weather? Hot. Hot. <laughs> competing or coaching?
1: Um at this point in my life coaching.
0: Coaching. Okay, if I asked you 10 years ago what would you, what would you say?
1: Um competing.
0: Competing? Okay. <laughs> it's cool to see the evolution of uh of somebody, you know, 10 years ago to now, right?
1: Well, yeah, like I said, I mean, I started when I was 30, competed a ton. We competed a lot um, in the early years. I, I had a, I ruptured a disc in my neck when I was, I was a purple belt. So that really, that really curbed my, uh, my enthusiasm for competition because it came down to the risk and reward. Um, you know, is it, it, a $5, you know, is a $5 medal or trophy worth, um, you know, long term, you know, you know, health issues, especially when it comes to something like a neck. So, I mean, I competed a little bit. Um, yeah. I still think about doing it. And obviously, you know, the, the pandemic kind of killed two years of, of potential. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 50 on my next birthday. And, uh, you know, the body, the body doesn't, uh, doesn't respond. It doesn't do the same things that it, that it used to do. Uh, I mean, I, I know some of my students will say, "Hey, that's he's full of shit. He kicks our ass all the time." <laughs> and yeah. um, but you know, competition's different than um, you know, competition's different than uh, than rolling in the club at times. So um, I love it. I love the spirit of competition. I think everyone at least once in their jiu-jitsu career um, should compete so that they they understand how they react to that level. of 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 a situation you know the adrenaline um the fear you know because there's there's always fear right if anyone tells you they've stepped in competition and they haven't been scared shitless they're full of shit um but like i said i mean i started competing in judo when i was eight i did uh point fighting and self-defense competitions i did amateur kickboxing so i've 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 competed a lot um it just comes down to what's what's the risk and reward um you know, long term on on the body with the wear and tear,
0: yeah, it's it's actually interesting you say that because uh, there's a couple of people I know in the gym that are just phenomenal when it comes to rolling. I mean, uh, I'm not in the position to say so, but I have heard other, Professors and coaches say, you know, they roll well above their belt level or Couple yep. right? And they go and compete, and it's like they're, you know, a one-stripe white belt, you know?
1: You know, and and, and and part of that is, you know, part of part of competition, like, at the high level, and, and even at the high amateur level, the guys that are winning, um, it's, it's not necessarily like there's a major difference in skill set between, you know, the best guy in that division and the worst guy, it comes down to who knows the rule set or who, who has the best game plan for that rule set. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, there, I mean, there's some, as I said, you know, there, there's some things in the IBJJF that, you know, if you really dig down in the rule set, you can do things or let things happen that if, if the ref, if the ref knows the rule book as well as they should, that points will never get scored or you can score like a a hundred points just doing very specific things that really don't advance the position that much, but you just, you know, you know how to play the rules to get those two points, three points, four points, or, you know, instead of giving the guy, you know, points on the pass, you know, you only turn it into an advantage. So a lot of it comes down to understanding who who's better at understanding the rule set versus who's really better at, you know, jujitsu. And once again, it comes to, Some guys, it's it's they're great in the club. That's that area. That's that's a comfort level. They just exude a level of jujitsu that's top notch. But they get into that situation of a competition, and the atmosphere is different. The sitting around and waiting all day is different. The anxiety levels, you know, it's just it's all different. But that's why I say I'd like to see I like I like to have people compete at least once so that they see how they manage through that, right? And then some people love it. And, uh, they'll do it forever. You know, they'll compete even when they're 70 years old, if they want to, or there's other guys who'll say, yeah, I'll compete like once a year and, uh, you know, I'm done with it.
0: Perfect. I do have three questions. I ask every one of my guests, can I ask them to you? Absolutely. Perfect. What three qualities do you possess that make you successful?
1: Um, I'm stubborn. <laughs> I don't like to take no for an answer. Um, and I, I think in, you know, in the jujitsu mindset, even though, even though my body's like, you know, 50, I, I, I still in my mind, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still 20 years old, right? I still have that, that youthful, uh, that youthful mindset that just makes me refuse to, to give up even on days when I know I should be resting, you know, you don't want to rest. Yeah. So I, I don't know. They're not necessarily good. They don't necessarily have to be good qualities, but I, I'm going to say stubbornness, uh, not liking to, to take no for an answer and, and just refusing to, uh, refusing to, to let age, you know, just take over.
0: Perfect. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what is something that you would say to your younger self?
1: Um, I think as as it relates to jujitsu. Um, Man, I, I would I would probably would have counseled um, counseled my younger self to get away from the club that I was at for fourteen years before I did, <laughs> and 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 take that risk and jump and go because uh, you know now looking back at it um, it was the right thing. A lot of people came and went from that school um, and and are seated all across the GTA and, and left you know after a couple of years and were very successful. Um, I mean, I stayed because I had, you know, there was a level of comfort there. I had a lot of good friends there and I had a lot of freedom to kind of do what I wanted to do. But I would probably say, get out, maybe get out sooner, sooner than you did. But you know what? We can't change that. We, 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 we do it for a reason. And I think maybe being there that long under those conditions, I, I learned a lot of things that are, you know, maybe making me better today as a, as an instructor and student of the art.
0: Okay. Let's change that. What if it's not to do with jujitsu? jitsu
1: if it's not to do with jujitsu, jitsu um, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin, right, I love it. Right, because <laughs> yep. I, 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 saw, I saw an article that said that if, if you bought Bitcoin when it first opened and you invested like $1,000 in Bitcoin back then, it, it'd be worth like $190 million today. Yes. So yes. I would say in, in, buy Apple, buy Bitcoin, it would be some kind of investment so that you could be financially financially set for the rest of life so I could do jujitsu and travel without any
0: uh, without any worries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. And last question. What is something that you wish could tell everyone you meet?
1: Um, everyone that I meet? Oh I don't know. There's a lot of people I, I meet that I would just want to tell them to fuck off because they're annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I, I think the number one thing is just, you know, trust yourself. Take the chance. Right. Um, we, all have self, we all have self-doubt.
0: Uh, oh, I don't know what happened. I lost you again.
1: Am I back? Yeah, you're back. Okay, sorry about that.
0: Where, where did I cut off? Um, self-doubt.
1: Yeah, I was going to say we, we, we all have self-doubt. Um, and I think it, you know, it prevents us from, you know, doing things um, and, and, and like you say, you know, you, you, you miss every shot that you don't take. And, uh, you know, you know, we learn a lot. You, you learn from your mistakes, you learn from your failures. So I think it's just what, whatever, you, whatever you're hesitating to do, go for it.
0: Perfect. I love it. Uh, do you have any questions for me?
1: No, man. I, once again, I just, you know, thanks for the opportunity to, to do the podcast. I've, I've done, you know, I've only done a few now, but I, but I enjoy it and, uh, kind of, uh, you know, kind of getting the message out there. And I'd say that if, uh, there's anyone in, uh, in the GTA that's, uh, interested in, you know, having me come out to their club, um, get in contact with me, or if you're ever in the Burlington or Waterdown area and you want to come out and train, um, let me know. And, uh, we can uh, we can arrange something.
0: Perfect. Last thing, plug your social media. Where can people find you?
1: So I can be found. Well, I mean, everybody's on Facebook, but I tend not to use that um, that much anymore. I can be found on Instagram <clears throat> under Jits Rolls, um, and also I just started playing around with TikTok, which to me it's uh, it, it, it's a really weird it's a really weird platform. But I'm on there as uh, Earl Gray BJJ. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've posted, I've posted videos on there that I get like, you know, a hundred views and I put one on there yesterday, which it was like a 19 second video of me doing a choke from, you know, it, it was just kind of raw footage from someone's phone from class. And, you know, in less than 12 hours I had over, you know, 2000 views. So I, I, I mean, for some people on TikTok, I mean, 2000 views is nothing, but you know, for me, who's never really played around with and does put a lot of effort into it. It just, it just, it's just interesting to see. What actually gets there? So I think uh, if I if I have a if I have a cute dog, you know, doing something stupid, and I'm popping a (laughs) pimple and choking somebody out, maybe maybe I'm going to get 10 million hits.
0: (laughs) Perfect. All right, it's rules on Instagram. Yeah, Um,
1: and Earl Gray BJJ on uh, on TikTok.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. I loved having you on. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Great. thanks for listening guys please don't forget to like and share this i'm trying to get this to everybody uh any person that you know in ontario canada um or anybody that you know comes to ontario canada i uh i want to really highlight businesses and people who are in the area thanks guys don't forget like and share and comment and i'll see you next time peace